Well, g'day there and welcome to the Oak City Church podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us today for another encouraging message from our Sunday gatherings of Oak City Church. If we can connect with you in any way, please see us at oakcitychurch.com.au or check out our socials online. We hope to see you in person soon. Actually, I should say at the outset, it's great to be back with you. Um, probably a few of you have forgotten what we look like because we seem to have been uh, uh, not meeting for so long and we missed the first couple of weeks. But the verses that we're reading today flow on from what uh, you had last week. And uh, it starts off, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, maybe parents, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, I know there's not an exact parallel, but maybe employees and bosses, slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one of you for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favouritism with him. Our son-in-law is uh, a carpenter builder by trade and he's quite good at what he does but his uh, skills as a carpenter builder did not just suddenly materialise out of nowhere one day. When he left school he took on an apprenticeship working for a master builder and the whole idea of the apprenticeship is that he would pay attention to what the master builder was saying, watch what the master builder was doing, and then try to replicate that, to imitate that. Now you might notice that one of our values down here, we go down to number four, apprenticeship to the kingdom. We are apprentices. You won't find that word in the Bible. But it is a fair representation of the word disciple. Apprentices for Jesus. We are people who want to pay attention to the words and the works and the ways of Jesus and then replicate those in the way that we live our lives. In other words, 
our Christian faith, our life of discipleship, is not just about finding out how Jesus could take us to heaven when we die. It is actually more about the way that we live our lives here on earth. And the bottom line is that we, we do not live our lives here on earth in a bubble, isolated from the rest of the world. We live our lives under the watchful gaze of the people around us. Now, I uh, sat down during the week and I did a little bit of figuring out, you know, so for those who love graphs and charts and percentages and stuff like that, I was trying to work out where the average working person spends most of their time. Now, given that we have, on average, 112 waking hours in each week, 38 and a half hours of that is gazetted for work. 35% of our waking time is lived out in the company of the people in our workplace. Similar amount of time, probably, is spent in the company of our immediate family. Around about 10% of our time given over to travelling to and from work. At least 20% of our time that we spend in the company of our church family, our friends, and perhaps in our leisure activities or sports clubs or whatever that might be. But I guess what I'm saying here is that a greater percentage of our time, 70% of our time, is spent living in front of our family and the people that we work with. And if our faith in Jesus, if our life of discipleship or apprenticeship means anything at all, surely it has to impact in some way the way that we relate to and the way that we engage with people in our family and the people with whom we work. And that is essentially what Paul is talking about in Ephesians 5 and 6. How I relate to my spouse, to my parents, to my children, to my boss, to my employees, to my co-workers. Now I want to say at the outset that I do not come before you today presenting myself as an expert in these matters. Joel's the one. Yep. <laughs> it's okay, I'll tell you. I have spent many years journeying through each one of these relationships. And, and after 45 years of muddling my way through parenting, um, sometimes think that my children are what they are today in spite of my feeble parenting efforts. And after 47 years of marriage, there are lots of things that I'm still trying to get right. And in 50 years of, of being in the workplace, there were plenty of times when I got so frustrated with my boss, with my co-workers, with myself, with my work. Yep, not an expert by any stretch of the imagination. So what I would like to do today is not to tell you how to do things or say this is what I did so you go and do it. No, that's not it. I just want to have a look at this passage in Ephesians and, and hear what Paul or Jesus through Paul might be saying to us. And, and I don't want to put each of these relationships under the microscope either. Um, I want to try and zoom out. Am I allowed to use the word zoom without people um, 
having um, a, a nervous breakdown. I want to pan out a little bit and get a bird's eye view of this passage and, and perhaps pay attention to one principle that I think can sort of permeate all of the relationships that we're engaged in. And that's a principle that's found in Ephesians 5.21. Uh, and in this uh, translation of the scriptures, Ephesians 5.21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, I've got to say that, that the way that most modern translations are set out is not very helpful in this instance. Because, well, in this one, uh, it's the NIV, uh, it's got a full stop at the end of verse 20, and then it's got in bold letters a section heading, instructions for Christian households, and then it starts off in verse 21 with a command to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's not the way Paul wrote it. Uh, <clears throat> to start with, Paul did not write section heading, so we, we can lose the section heading. And secondly, there's not a full stop at the end of verse 20. And verse 21 is not written as a command. The actual command goes back to verse 18, where Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. That's the important command, that we be filled. And even that's not really within our control. That's what Jesus does for us although we can put ourselves in a position of readiness for Jesus to fill us with the Holy Spirit. That's another sermon, so we won't go there this morning. Be filled with the Spirit. And then Paul gives us four signs, or four of the signs, of what things look like when we are filled with the Spirit. One, that we are speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Two, that we are singing and making melody in our hearts to the Lord. Three, that we are always giving thanks for all things to God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ. And four, that we are submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. One of the marks of being filled with the Holy Spirit is that we willingly and joyfully submit ourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then in the following verses, Paul goes on to try and unpack something of what that might look like in certain relationships that we have. So the principle I want us to get a hold of is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's actually a double barrel principle. And the first barrel is the idea of submitting to one another. Now there has to be more to that than just doing what someone else asks us to do. Now, hear me, there will be times in the context of certain relationships, when the role that another person has is one to which we need to submit to an authority. There will be times. But in this instance, it's got to mean more than that because it's submitting to one another. It is a mutual thing. 
And I think it means something like that we are willing to submit or to subject our own agenda for a relationship, to subject our own desires and our own wants in a relationship to the willingness to live for the other person, to give myself to meeting the needs of the other person and to seeking the other person's welfare and well-being as a person and as a man or woman of God. In other words, the question is, how can I live for the other person? The second battle of the principle is out of reverence for Christ. And that means that every relationship in which I'm engaged must be lived with reference to Jesus. So the question then is, how can I bring Jesus into my relationships? So I want to have a look at those two questions. The first, how can I live my life for the sake of the other person. Now, the last time Jess uh, spoke, we were still online, and uh, Jess spoke about something that happened in her life, um, and I thought, I've got to make reference to that when I'm dealing with this issue of relationships, so I wrote it down, so I wouldn't forget it. But I've forgotten where I wrote it. <laughs> So I'm going from memory. <laughs> okay, so just from memory, she was speaking about a time when she was a youth leader and uh, she had started to feel that she really wasn't getting what she wanted out of this youth leading stuff. And she had gone to the youth group one night intent on quitting as a youth leader. And, and while she was waiting there at the beginning of the night, God spoke into her spirit and she found herself saying, oh, this is not about me. Not about me. That's what I want us to get a hold of in our relationships. It's not about me. Let me tell you a little story. I tend to be an early riser these days, but it wasn't always the case. And Saturday mornings in particular was, was a morning that we like to sleep in a little bit. But when you have small children, that becomes something of a challenge. So here we are in bed trying to have a sleep in and our young children are out wherever they were uh, because they were not sleepers in, right? Like they were early risers. Not anymore, but they are, they used to be. And, and they're playing loudly and they're laughing and they're making a noise and, and my blood's starting to boil. Don't they know that I'm trying to sleep in? And I would storm out of bed and out to where they were. Can't you be quiet for a moment? Don't you know we're trying to sleep in? Well, of course they don't know that. They're little children. But see, I've made it about me. They are supposed to be making my life a little bit better here. I'd made it about me. Actually, there's a, an addendum to the story. One morning, they really were very quiet. And we were enjoying our sleep in. 
And when we got up and we went out into the lounge room, we found one of our dining chairs pulled over to the fish tank. One of our children saturated from head to toe with water from the fish tank, pebbles from the bottom of the fish tank all over the carpet, and there was at least one fish that had to go to fish heaven as a result of that experience. So maybe, maybe we were learning that uh, it's not necessary to have quiet children just so that we can have a sleep in. But yeah, I made it about me. And often we go into a, a relationship thinking, it's your job to make me feel better. It's your job to make me look good. It's your job to take care of my needs. We need to reverse that mindset. I am called to serve your needs. I am called to help you become all that you can be. Okay, what does Paul say here? Husbands, and I know you dealt with this last week, but I'm just going to read it again this morning. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, husbands, I think maybe we're starting to feel a little bit uncomfortable now gave himself up for her. Am I willing, as I'm supposed to, to give myself up for Lorraine? To give up my desire to be first, to give up my desire to win, to give up my desire to have my own way? Can I give that up for Lorraine? It goes on, gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. In other words, Christ gave himself up for us, his church, for us, to help us become all that God wanted us to be. As a husband, am I willing to do that for Lorraine? To help her flourish and grow as a woman, as a human being, and as a woman of God. Not about me. There's nothing about me in there, except what I'm invited to do for Lorraine. Parents, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. I'm here for them. I'm here for my children. It's not about me. There's nothing about me in there either. Actually, Psalm 127 verse 3 says that children are a heritage from the Lord. And maybe a good way of translating that word heritage is trust. Our children have been entrusted to us by God so that we may take care of them on his behalf and help lead them to that point where they can trust in Jesus and serve him. It's not about me. A few years ago, I made a decision that I was going to spend a day a week with my 80-plus-something father. Uh, and when I made that decision and started that process of visiting him, I, I was in the early stages thinking, there's so many other things I could be doing with this time. 
Yeah, there's some, there's, I want to do this and I want to do this, but I've got to go and see Dad. Yeah. Kind of thinking, where's my time in all this? But I had to make a choice. This is not about me, it's about Dad. Dad was lonely. He was widowed, he was lonely. And I could bring him some companionship, some conversation, some shared interests, and I could take him to McDonald's to have his cheeseburger and see his <laughs> cup of tea for lunch because nobody else would do that for him. And especially last year, to journey with him as his health deteriorated and to help him process end-of-life stuff that he needed to process. It's not about me. Our son and daughter-in-law recently bought a veterinary clinic. Our daughter-in-law is a vet, and it's been her dream since she became a vet to own her own practice. So they've, they've bought into a practice. And uh, she was talking about the way she saw her role as a boss, comparing it to experiences that she had had working for somebody else. And she said to us, I see my role as helping the staff to become all that they can be, to flourish in their jobs. It's not about me. Now, I could go on multiplying scenarios and anecdotes, but I hope you're getting the point here. It's not about me. How can I give my life to living for another person in a relationship? to promoting their well-being, to helping them flourish, to help meet their needs. How can I live for the other person? Now the second question that we've got to ask is, how can I bring Jesus into this relationship? Um, so let me give you the condensed version of this passage. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. Parents, bring your children up in the instruction and training of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters as you would obey Christ. And masters, Remember that your master and theirs is in heaven. So the condensed version tells us that in every relationship, Paul says we've got to live it out with reference to Jesus. Where does Jesus fit in? So in a relationship, it is not just me and you. It is me, you and Jesus. And where does Jesus fit in? Well, let's have a look. Uh, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So that's really telling me that I should ask myself, if Jesus was here in my place, or if I was Jesus, how would I treat Lorraine? How would I treat my children? How would I treat my parents? How would I treat my boss? How would I treat my workers? How would I treat my colleagues? 
If I were Jesus, how would I treat other people? Second thing. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Now that's in a sense telling me that I need to see Jesus in you, in the other person, and treat you in the same way that I would treat Jesus. So if Jesus was my spouse, if Jesus was my parent, if Jesus was my child, if Jesus was my boss, if Jesus was my employee, how would I treat him? Now often when we think about where Jesus fits into a relationship, we might think that Jesus sits in what we call the third person. So there's me, first person, there's you, second person, and there's Jesus, third person. Uh, my grandparents used to have this plaque up in their home. Christ is the head of this house, the unseen guest at every meal, the silent listener to every conversation. And it was like, oh, Jesus is here watching and listening, so I'd better behave myself. Um, but seriously, even if we just saw Jesus as an observer, I wonder how that would transform the way I conduct myself in a relationship. But I'm saying it's more than that. I'm saying we put Jesus in the first person here. And if I were Jesus, how would I be treating you? And we put Jesus in the second person. And if you were Jesus, how would I be treating you? So it's a matter of me being Jesus to you and me seeing Jesus in you. Now, I know I've asked a lot of questions and told a few stories. I haven't given you many specifics about what you ought to do in your relationships. And that's fine because I don't live in your relationships. I can't figure them out for you. I only live in my relationships and I can figure out mine. But hopefully this is a principle that can help us in that process. How can I bring Jesus into a relationship? How can I live for you? That give myself to promote your well-being and to serve your needs. To be able to be Jesus to you and see Jesus in you. And that's a journey that I'm inviting you to pursue. Um, I'd also like to invite you in closing if you'd like prayer for something that may be going on in a relationship that you're engaged in now. Uh, maybe there's a relationship struggle for you, maybe it's a conflict, maybe there's a bit of a breakdown and you'd just like some prayer for it. Um, if that's so, uh, just come and grab me or Lorraine or Charlie or Taryn, I'm offering it on your behalf, Taryn, um, or Nathan. Um, just come and grab us after the service and say, can you pray for me? Yeah, if you want to tell us the specifics of it, that's fine. We will listen and pray. If you'd rather just talk more generally about the relationship, that's fine as well. But we'd love to pray with you if there's something going on.
like to pray with you now. Father, thank you that you have modelled what it is like to be a father to us and to be a husband to your people, to be a Lord. And that Jesus, you have modelled what it is like to be a son, what it is like to be a servant. And we pray that you would fill us with your heart Fill us with your heart for others so that we might live for you as servants to those around us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. There's more coffee, I think, and morning tea, and sec second dose of morning tea. Second breakfast. Uh, second breakfast, <laughs> that's the Lord of the Rings the terminology around it. Uh, so if you'd like to avail yourself of that, that's, that's on offer, and so is the offer of praying with you about anything that may be going on in your lives. Thank you.